0: ever wondered what monetary policy is, who's in charge of the national debt, or why brick countries should concern you? Well, you're in the right place. Hello and welcome to It's the Economy, a new podcast mini-series for Intelligent Squared Business. I'm Nicola Walton, and I'm not an economist, but I do think it's important that economics is accessible. The economy impacts every aspect of our lives, from how we work to where we live. But how much do we really understand about how big economic concepts and decisions affect us? In this podcast, I'll be breaking down complex economic ideas. So in the time it takes to have a cup of coffee, you'll understand what they mean and why they matter to us. In each episode, I'll be joined by an economics expert to talk us through it all. This week, we're looking at inflation. And my guest is Almira Chinje, an economist from the Black Economist Network. Welcome to the podcast, Almira. Thank
1: you very much for having
0: me. Really looking forward to it. Well, let's start with definitions. What is inflation?
1: So inflation refers to kind of a general increase in the price level throughout the economy. So kind of what does that mean? So if we, you know, we can think about the, the prices of different goods going up. Um, but when we're talking about inflation, we're talking about kind of goods collectively um, rising in price.
0: And what are some of the causes of inflation?
1: There's kind of two main uh, drivers of inflation so we can think of it as kind of a cost push inflation so that might be when kind of the costs of of inputs to manufacturing goods become more expensive and that pushes up prices or we can have demand pull inflation and then kind of that happens when you know agents in the economy are demanding goods and services more than they're kind of able to be supplied if you will so kind of more more demand and money chasing fewer goods
0: Well, we also hear the terms deflation and stagflation.
1: Deflation is kind of effectively the opposite of inflation. So you're kind of experiencing negative price rises or price falls, if you will, in goods and services in the economy. So it's essentially kind of a negative inflation rate. And then when you're talking about stagflation, it's when you have a situation in which you are experiencing Inflation, but it's not accompanied by any sort of economic growth. So it's kind of the worst kind of, or amongst the worst kind of inflation you can have. So
0: is that more likely to be seen in a recession, say?
1: Yes, potentially. Or in a, you know, in a scenario, for example, um, we might think about kind of back in the nineteen seventies when we we had kind of oil prices uh, rising significantly, um, and that was pushing up inflation, but then that wasn't necessarily uh, accompanied by economic growth.
0: Often when we hear um, discussions about inflation, we hear um, the acronyms RPI and CPI standing for Retail Price Index and Consumer Price Index. So what's the difference between the two?
1: Consumer Price Index kind of refers to um, the measurement of, you know, price changes in a kind of a basket of goods, if you will. So I think there's about, you know, 180,000 different prices are collected for around like 700 different goods. And kind of, you know, that's looked at how kind of the prices of those goods have changed over over time kind of gives you the the CPI inflation. The main difference between CPI and RPI is that RPI is inclusive of housing costs, which are kind of not included in the CPI calculation.
0: And I think I read somewhere that certainly in the case of the UK, the basket of goods that they use to measure inflation just varies according to sort of what people are buying. So, for instance, you know they don't have DVDs anymore. They sort of look at streaming instead, or things like that. So they try and keep it up to date. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's correct. So it's uh, once every year the ONS uh, will review kind of the 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 baskets, the goods that make up the basket, in order to kind of reflect what consumers are buying. So, for example, most recently they they kind of added kind of reusable plastic bottles because, you know, that's a trend that they're seeing a lot more of. People are kind of more environmentally conscious and they're, you know, trying to reduce their plastic use. So it does uh, try to reflect trends as much as possible.
0: And which of the two, RPI or CPI, is the more important when it comes to determining inflation?
1: There are discussions amongst kind of academics, etc, about kind of which, which one is, is better or more representative. But the headline uh, figure that is quoted is the, the CPI inflation rate. And, and there is something to do with kind of how the two are calculated and, and how CPI kind of gives a greater weight to kind of, um, you, know, you know, consumer trends and, and, and consumer choices.
0: Each week, we look at a historical example of this episode's theme, in this case, inflation. Inflation can have devastating consequences for economies, societies and ordinary people. Germany in the 1920s is a striking example. After their defeat in the First World War, a missed reparation payment set off a chain of events resulting in hyperinflation, where prices rose uncontrollably and the real value of the local currency was eroded. My producer, Lovejeet Daliwal has been looking at what happened then and what it can teach us about these economic forces.
2: After Germany's defeat in the First World War, the Treaty of Versailles forced the Weimar Republic to pay reparations to the Allied powers. In 1921, this was set at a whopping 9 billion US dollars. But in 1922, Germany defaulted and missed a crucial payment. This led to French and Belgian troops entering Germany's industrial heartland to confiscate goods as reparation payments. Soldiers occupied coal mines, steelworks, factories and railways – the very things needed to keep an economy going. With foreign troops occupying vital infrastructure and production hubs, things went from bad to worse for the German economy. In order to pay its workers, Germany decided to print money. What seemed like a smart way to get out of a sticky situation led to hyperinflation. Prices spiralled out of control. A loaf of bread, which cost 250 marks, would now cost 200,000 million marks just 11 months later. Towards the end of 1923, it cost more to print a note than the note was worth. Workers were paid twice a day because of the rapid rise in prices, making their morning wages virtually worthless by the afternoon. The rise in economic instability spilled over into the political arena. There were a number of uprisings as groups struggled to take power from the government. One of the most famous attempts was led by Hitler and the Nazi party in the Munich Push. He failed and was put in jail, but this event brought Hitler to national prominence and during his imprisonment he ended up writing his infamous book Mein Kampf.
0: So, Elmira, as we've just heard, inflation and hyperinflation can have extraordinary consequences. It can literally break governments, can't it?
1: Yes, I mean, as to just talked about, you know, we saw kind of the the discontent um, was brewed by uh, hyperinflation, really setting the ground for the rise of Nazism and the Nazi Party.
0: And there's been more recent examples of hyperinflation, haven't there? I'm thinking of Zimbabwe.
1: Zimbabwe is actually quite a um, you know prominent example, where kind of in 2008, they were experiencing price rises of around 7.6 billion percent per month, which is just astronomical when you think of it. You you have situations of kind of people leaving the house to buy an item and no longer being able to afford it by the time they get there. And it's just impossible for sort of economic agents to, to kind of plan around in that sort of price environment. So Whilst printing money might sometimes look like the solution to economic ills, it can also, and often, very often does kind of cause more trouble than it's worth.
0: But then on the other hand, we also want to avoid stagflation like Japan suffered, don't we?
1: Yes, I mean, the Japanese situation is quite uh, quite an interesting one, where which they have the, the, the opposite problem, and they can't quite seem to kind of boost inflation to those healthy levels. You know, the central bank has you know thrown quite a lot at the problem. But, you know, one of the main challenges for them is kind of the credibility. The, you know, the ability for the central bank to boost inflation is very much comes down to setting those inflation expectations. And, you know, if agents in the economy don't believe that prices are going to rise in future and they don't believe that the economy is going to grow, they're not going to spend, they're going to save far too much and you know we're going to end up in a in a situation where which you can't kind of really promote the growth that you want and the healthy inflation that you know most economies have
0: but what can governments do if prices get out of control i'm thinking a few years ago of the price of onions and tomatoes in india rocketing
1: that was you know a challenge for, for the indian economy especially because food price inflation you know affects those kind of at the very bottom of the income spectrum the most and introducing limits on exports and things like that to really try and kind of keep you know, as much of those goods within the economy so as to kind of, you know, reduce that inflation was kind of one of the steps that they took. But yeah, it's 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 amazing how impactful the price of onions can be, you know, on, on the
0: livelihoods of so many people.
2: Stat of the Week.
0: Now it's time for our Stat of the Week. Each week we'll be bringing you a figure that's often quoted in the press and seen as a key indicator of the health of the overall economy. This week stat is the inflation rate desired by a particular country in the UK the inflation target is set at two percent Why this figure Elmira
1: the two percent target was very much born out of a sense that in some inflation is is healthy but you don't want too much inflation because of you know the the situations that we've discussed but at the same time you want to avoid deflation as in the case of of japan so you know two percent is is kind of widely agreed by economists to kind of be a a a healthy healthy rate of inflation that kind of reflects a growing economy
0: you've said a two percent target is a healthy amount of inflation but why exactly do we need inflation at all and why is it important to have a two percent rise in prices
1: Inflation is actually very important because, or at least a healthy amount of inflation as the 2% target I believe represents, is quite important because you can envision a scenario in which, let's say, I don't expect prices to rise tomorrow. So what I do instead is that I defer spending until tomorrow. But you can envision how if everyone in the economy does precisely the same thing, no one's going to spend anything today and businesses today are going to be in quite a challenging situation. So inflation is important because it, it encourages you know, some degree of spending and, and healthy spending at this current point in time in the current period, rather than encouraging economic agents to kind of defer that spending to further down the line.
0: And so is 2% the rate that sort of all countries have as their ideal inflation target or are there different, different rates around the world?
1: Uh, so generally, for most major economies, so the UK, the US, two percent uh, is, is is seen as kind of the you know gold standard or the, the ideal level.
0: That was stat of the week, and this week we were looking at the inflation rate. Is it easy to actually control inflation, or do you just have to assume that sometimes, as you say, it'll just like ebb and flow, hopefully around the target that you you want?
1: So no, there's several levers that the central bank might pull in order to control inflation. So you know the most or the, the lever that we talk about the most is is usually setting interest rates. And that therefore determines kind of the amount of money that's kind of sloshing around the economy at the moment. So it determines the the rate of borrowing and subsequently just how much, you know, growth we might anticipate or how much spending we might have in the economy. So that's one one thing that the government does. But, you know, in the past few years, we've kind of experienced a, a very opposite problem where which we've not had runaway inflation, but we've actually had very, very, very slow in inflation growth and, and not necessarily hit that 2% target. And when we've got interest rates as kind of as low as they are, the next thing is, you know, how can we boost that growth? So, you know, some of the policy policies that have been put in place are things like quantitative easing, which, you know, the hope is that that will increase the amount of lending in the, in the economy and therefore kind of promote the growth that's needed to push inflation closer to
0: that 2% target. And do you think faster than expected recovery out of the pandemic is going to push up inflation?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think we are kind of seeing this already. So quite recently, the US came out with their latest inflation statistics of, of about 4.2%, which is kind of very much above their usual 2% target. But yes, it's it's been, it's been argued quite widely by economists that, you know, we have a lot of pent up demand is about to come back as kind of restrictions are eased. And, you know, we've also seen kind of, you know, price rises in uh, in energy, uh, in, which is kind of a very core part of kind of the production of goods, which are kind of most likely to serve to push up prices even further. And then there's been a lot of stimulus in the economy. So, the, you know, the, especially throughout the COVID uh, pandemic period, governments and central banks kind of threw a lot of cash at the at the problem and um, just because kind of you know demand had literally disappeared overnight so you know all that residual cash that's in the system is going to be chasing you know fewer and fewer goods especially as businesses and companies kind of struggle to kind of get back to full capacity as they were prior to the pandemic so it's kind of a, a bit of a mismatch in terms of how much demand there is versus how much capacity businesses have at this very moment in time.
0: Well, thanks for joining us, Elmira. No,
1: thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe and rate and review Intelligent Squared Business on Apple Podcasts. It lets us know what you think and helps others to find the show. I'm Nicola Walton, and you've been listening to It's the Economy, a podcast miniseries for Intelligent Squared Business. This podcast was produced by Lovejeet Daliwal. With technical assistance from Mark Roberts and Catherine Hughes. The executive producer is Farah Jasset.